Amen. Having church today with the Gospel Ensemble. Having church today with God's beautiful people. Having church right here today at T.C. Jester in West 11th Street, worshiping our God who calls us to be a community with unity. All right. Whew, take a breath. Let's do that together. Doesn't it feel good to be in this place today? To just be who we are and who God's created us to be. And uh, take a moment now to think about your family of origin. Ooh, I hear a few groans. Ooh. <laughs> the family you didn't choose. <laughs> think about some of the characters in your family. The aunts, the uncles, the cousins, the third cousins, the people who just show up to eat all the food at the family reunion. <laughs> and thinking about your family, if... Your family could be depicted in a television show. What show would it be? Now, most of my family on both sides was from West Texas. My mother's side, Lubbock. My dad's side, Hamlin, about 50 miles north of Abilene. So I could think of a number of shows that it would at least apply somewhat to my family, including Sorted Lives, Hee Haw, and Mr. Ed the Talking Mule. <laughs> Thinking back to a television show in the 60s, one that perhaps would describe many of our families. I want to show you a little clip of that, but uh, let's kind of have a little bit of participation. So get your snappers out. All right, you're doing pretty good. If your family was spooky, <laughs> if your family was creepy, then perhaps your family was... some memories. <laughs> Did you see your family up there at least for part of that? If you've been to church in the last 15 or 20 years, pretty much any church, perhaps you've noticed that actually there is some struggle in church around the whole idea of family. We don't talk about family too much in church because it seems that so many of our families are dysfunctional. So whether it's a conservative evangelical church or a mainline church, there is less and less talk about family in church. We just don't want to push those buttons. And especially in MCC, we are aware that perhaps even in the last 24 hours, some of you have had a difficult conversation with someone from your family 
of origin. And so it's difficult to use language like brothers and sisters, and perhaps even more difficult to use some of the language around parents, father and mother. So many churches now don't use references to God as father or God as mother, they just talk about God. And many churches now talk more about community than family. We just don't want to push those buttons. The challenge is that when we no longer talk about family, we're closing one of the windows into relationship and into God. So perhaps the call is not to close windows or to neuter God. Perhaps the call is to continue to open windows and realize that all of our relationships have many dimensions and that God also has many dimensions. And the more windows we open, the more possibilities there are to see something true and real, even though it may at times be difficult. We don't want to talk about family in church too much because of dysfunctional family. Yet if we truly want to have church for the right reasons, if we truly want church to be the prophetic place that church can be, then maybe the call is not to ignore language around family, but to revive it, redeem it, and reframe it. If we are truly called to be healers, then one of our great challenges is to heal our issues with family. Amen. Our call is to find ways to turn dysfunction into function. Healing. Prophetic holiness and wholeness. And so our scripture today really opens a window into how we can look at our relationships and how we can grow as not only the body of Christ, but the family of God and the family of Christ. I'd invite you to turn in your worship folder to that second page. We'll work through some of the scripture that's before us today because what we see in this scripture is a call to health and wholeness as the body of Christ. Our scripture presents a healthy vision of functional family and functional relationships. What we see when we look at this scripture is that though we may be different, and though we may have our challenges in a variety of areas, and though we may have our wounds and our strengths, though we may have our preferences, we are ultimately called to this place where we can look at each other heart to heart. No matter what's going on, there is this place where we are connected, even when it may feel like we're divided. The call here is to realize that through Christ we are joined at the heart. And we're joined at the heart to have a heart. Have a heart for what? Our scripture makes it clear that when we're joined at the heart, the first call is to have a heart for unity. In the early church, the churches of Asia Minor, they were a group of churches where there was incredible diversity. In fact, you could say that diversity was both their passion and their gift. And so the writer of Ephesians was sending this letter among the different churches 
to help remind them that in the midst of their diversity, they were also called to unity. To go back again and again to that place where the heart was grounded. If you look at the first part of this scripture, you'll see that the most prominent word in this scripture is the word one. If you look there, you'll see that there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called into one hope when you were called. There is one Savior, one faith, one baptism, one God and creator of all, who is over all, who works through all and is within all. What's coming clear here is that we just cannot announce unity and expect it to just happen. Unity is grounded in the one who is unified. Unity is grounded in that one who created our hearts and calls our hearts. One, body, spirit, hope, savior, faith, baptism, God. That's why we have church. That's why we have churches, to find this one who gives us that strength in us, through us, and beyond us. This call to unity, however, is not a call to uniformity. It's a clear distinction that comes through. Yesterday, 15 of us gathered for the drumming circle, and it was a moment where we truly celebrated unity but not uniformity. Every single drum, I think y'all are picturing me drumming, yes, it was not uniform. <laughs> every single drum was different, and every sound that came from those drums was different. And everybody's rhythm was at least a little bit different. And at one moment, Denise Junius, who was leading us, talked about this whole idea of how different voices come through and yet create this voice that we all lean into. Uh, there, there were moments in which we were listening to each other and we found ourselves carried to this different rhythm in this different place and it got louder and louder. We were carried into this moment. At other moments it got quiet and you still heard the rhythm, but it was calling to a different place. Unity, yet not uniformity. Oh, we may have different preferences, yet we're joined at the heart. We may have different personalities, yet we're joined at the heart. We may have different ways to worship and to pray, yet we're joined at the heart. We may have different styles, yet we're joined at the heart. It's unity and diversity, not uniformity. Get a place where we can look into each other's eyes and hearts and therein discover love and wellness. Verse 3 says, do all you can to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the peace that binds you together. The NIV describes it as the bond of peace, that which keeps us and holds us and strengthens us. Now, unity, it's wonderful to talk about it. Diversity, it's wonderful to talk about it. But what has come through this scripture is that unity and diversity is never easy. Sometimes we say that the way we do church at Resurrection is the hard way. We don't have a century-old book of common prayer to give us a unified way to pray. We do not have a book of discipline that we follow that gives us a direction we need. Sometimes there are certain things that we figure out as we go along. 
and yet it's a way that's authentic and true that opens to the different voices. But with that said, how do we then build this unity? And how do we make diversity work? Where we're not sitting around with a checklist saying, okay, we covered this one. We're politically correct here. We're not politically correct. Let's get this correct. Let's, how do we keep it from getting crazy? That's where the second part of the scripture comes in. Because not only are we joined at the heart with a heart for unity, we are joined at the heart with a heart for maturity. And maturity is part of our vision statement because we realize that without maturity, our diversity will ultimately end up in conflict and emptiness. It will ultimately be incomplete. So the greatest portion of this scripture is really a call to maturity. It's a call to understand that we're not going to get it right. We're going to step on each other's toes. We're going to hurt sometimes. We're going to get out of joint sometimes. But with maturity, we can recognize that name and talk about it and move through it. So it's maturity that makes unity possible, and it's maturity that makes diversity possible. So how do we get there? Well, it's, it's not a, a, a little carousel ride. It's more like a roller coaster. Verse 2 says, bear with one another in love. Treat one another with humility, in complete selflessness, gentleness, and patience. Now this sounds wonderful. This sounds like the perfect description of the nice Christian. Bear with one another. Humility, selflessness, gentleness, patience. Makes you want to just go pinch the cheek of the Christian next to you for being so nice and sweet. <laughs> it's easy for us to see gentleness as being a doormat. It's easy to see this as a description of how to lose your style and color and texture and flavor. Actually, each one of these words takes courage. Each one of these words takes intention. And gentleness is not being a doormat. Gentleness is being grounded in who you are and grounded in Christ and being strong enough to respond with a sense of patience and dignity. A person who is gentle has the ability to be resilient no matter what others say, no matter what the circumstances are, and no matter what happens. Verse 12 gives us a powerful word. It's a word that's been used in ministry training. If you look at verse 12, you'll see how it talks about the gifts. And it says, these gifts were given to equip fully the holy ones for the purpose of service and to build up the body of Christ. Actually, the word equip is not a strong enough word. In the original Greek, the meaning of the word refers to the resetting of bones. What it's really saying here is that through our gifts, we reset the bones that have been moved out of alignment, and we help each other to move and walk again with grace and wholeness and fluidity. It's about being in alignment. What this means is that we are called many times to speak the truth in love, to help return to that place where we are aligned again. This is not something that happens just once. We're called to keep equipping, to keep resetting the bone that gets out of joint. 
We're called to keep this movement going until, as we see in verse 13, we all attain unity in our faith until we become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, we might think that finally we are walking with a sense of strength and wholeness, and then someone looks at us the wrong way or says the wrong thing, there's a misunderstanding somewhere, and we get out of alignment. Well, that's the description of what's happening in verse 14. The call here is to be children no longer, tossed here and there and carried about by every wind. Part of maturity means we come to a place where what people say or think no longer sends us off somewhere. We no longer get blown away or carried away by the latest gossip, the latest accusation. Instead, we find ourselves returning to this alignment. We get back in alignment with the call that we see described for us in verse 15. Let us speak the truth in love and grow to the full maturity of Christ. Notice how it doesn't say just speak love and it doesn't say just speak truth. It's the combination of speaking truth and love that leads to the realignment that becomes maturity. There are some folks who are all true and no love. They may really have the deepest insight, the exact insight that's needed. In fact, they may have come to a place of truth and it's a truth that we all need to hear. But when that truth is shoved down our throats, we don't get it. It needs to be balanced and said in a way where people are able to receive and hear it. And then there's others who, it's just about love. No matter what you say, they're going to feel good about it. You can call them whatever you want to call them, and they'll just smile at you. Yet that is love without truth. It honestly takes both. It takes a word of truth spoken in love to lead to fullness and wholeness and health and alignment and maturity. What is love? It's not a feeling or an emotion. Love is an act of the will. Love is a choice. It is speaking, acting, and thinking in the best interest of others. It is walking humbly and gently and patiently and loving with our siblings in daily life. We become mature as a body of Christ by committing ourselves to each other no matter what. By committing ourselves to continue clarifying and speaking until we get to that place. We're joined at the heart. That's there. But getting to that place requires the hard work of loving each other enough to speak the truth in love, to listen, and to grow. There's a wonderful resource to help in this journey. It's called The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And I'll just offer the four agreements now for us to think about. I invite you to go deeper in this because these are agreements that take a lifetime to fully live. The first one is to be impeccable with your word. It means to speak the truth and be the truth. It means to present ourselves as who we truly are. It means not faking it. It means being real. In addition to speaking the truth in love by being impeccable with our word, 
We're also called to take nothing personally. To realize that what people present to us comes from their life stories and their experience. And it may feel hurtful and it may feel harsh. But to continue to say to ourselves, it's not about me. Therefore, I will listen. I will not be offended or wounded. I will grow from this and we will grow together. The next one is to make no assumptions and this is a tough one. We think we know what other people want. We think we know what other people need and we think we're the person to give it to them. (laughs) To make no assumptions means that we do clarify, that we ask people what they want and what they need. And we also don't assume that people know what we need and want. We don't assume we're on the same page till we've looked at that page and clarified it. Even this morning, I had some work to do on an assumption I made. It's a lifetime process and a lifetime journey. And number four, the four agreements, is to simply do our best, realizing that our best will vary depending on what's going on around us. After you've mowed several lawns and haven't had enough beverages to stay renewed and someone comes and asks you a tough question, you may not be at your best to respond in the best way. We know that about each other. Sometimes we're tired. Sometimes there's other things on our minds. But we make a commitment to bring our best to the table and to grow in this maturity. When we're out of joint, we work to re-equip and to realign. Maturity and unity, being joint at the heart, it is hard work. But it is worth it because the closer we get to this deepest alignment the more we can celebrate the beauty and the power and the diversity of who we are we can look at someone who rubs us the wrong way and begin to see ourselves in them we can move from a place of resistance to a place of friendship one who has had a wonderful ability to describe the human family is Maya Angelou And she offers some wonderful words today to remind us that, yes, we are mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and siblings. We are a part of this beautiful tapestry of family. I note the obvious differences in the human family. Some of us are serious. Some thrive on comedy. Some declare their lives are lived as true profundity. And others claim they really live the real reality. The variety of our skin tones can confuse, bemuse, delight. Brown and pink, beige and purple, tan and blue and white. I know 10,000 women called Jane and Mary Jane but I've never really known any two that were really the same. Mirror twins are different, although their features jive and lovers think quite different thoughts when lying side by side. I note the obvious differences between each sort and type, but we are more alike, my friends, then we are unalike. We are more alike, my friends, than we are unalike. We are more alike, my friends, than we are 
unalike. And let us share that together now. We are more alike, my friends, than we are unalike. That is the place where we are truly joined at the heart. It's a place of love and understanding and friendship. It's that place inside each of us that is a home for each other. It's that place where we celebrate who we are in Christ. And it's that place of friendship that's truly golden. <laughs>